When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu dealer today on SENWA. Live from the Toolkit Depot studio. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. It's a milder day in Perth today. Cloud clearing. And out here at the Toolkit Depot studio at Optus Stadium, it is lovely outside. Lots of people walking around getting some exercise. Maximum temperature 32 degrees, we're expecting. Well, the real footy is still three weeks away for our two teams but they've now tested themselves against another AFL club, even if it was a local derby at Mineral Resources Park on Saturday night. First impressions, reserve judgment on Fremantle because West Coast clearly have a lot of work to do. And we'll get into more of that later. We will have Glenn Quartermain uh, on the line straight after the first break to talk about his impressions of that game on Saturday night. West Australia's cricketers have again proven their mettle on the domestic stage. They rolled home team New South Wales by five wickets to claim their third successive Marsh Cup one-day triumph in Sydney yesterday. They'd previously beaten New South Wales in 21-22. It's become a domestic one-day dynasty in WA. They beat South Australia last season. They've now won the last five trophies That's three Marsh Cups and two Sheffield Shields on offer in men's state cricket, as well as two KFC BBL championships in that period. And they're only the second team to pull off a one-day domestic three-peat after New South Wales, who have done it twice. So Joel Paris, Andrew Ty and Ashton Agar did the damage with the ball. New South Wales collapsed from 3 to 135 to be all out for 169 to put Western Australia in the box seat. Paris got four, Agar and Ty took two apiece as New South Wales fell apart. And then after the Blues had reduced WA to three for 30 to get back into the game, Hilton Cartwright's brilliant 73 of 80 deliveries got WA comfortably home. Cartwright hit three massive sixes in a match-winning partnership with Nick Hobson. The smallest of those sixes ended up in a barbecue on the outskirts of the ground. The other two, including the winning runs, ended up outside of the ground and nearly took out buses in the adjacent road. It puts an emphatic exclamation mark on WA's dominance in Australian cricket. Give us your thoughts. How good are Western Australia? You can text in 0487 736 736 
We'd love to hear from you on the Bower and O'Day open line, 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. We'll be talking to Code Sports' Daniel Churney later in the show. A little bit about the T20 series in New Zealand, but also about West Australia's ongoing dominance in domestic cricket. So the footy. There are about 5,000 people at Mineral Resources Park on Saturday night. A lot of West Coast supporters keen to see how their team is shaping up after two of the bleakest seasons in club history. They're also there to take their first real look at number one draft pick Harley Reid, who was playing his first match against a rival AFL club. Now, from a team perspective, I'm not sure that many West Coast fans would have liked what they saw. Reid will hopefully have better days, but at least on two or three occasions, he showed some glimpses of his potential when he took the game on. It's always dangerous reading too much into early practice match form, but thanks to Izuzu, and you can live your own way in the Izuzu D-Max, here are four thoughts on West Coast and Fremantle in the wake of Fremantle's convincing win to four-wheel drive you to work today. And thought one regarding West Coast, it just feels like deja vu all over again. We rocked up to Mineral Resources Park, One of the key things we wanted to see was how the Eagles ruck brigade of Matt Flynn and Bailey Williams would go against Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson. Really good test of a rebuilt ruck brigade. Instead, we got the news that Flynn had suffered a hamstring tendon injury in the captain's run on the eve of the game. We're waiting on news of just how serious that injury is, but hamstring tendon injuries are rarely minor. You would have to think that at the very least Flynn misses round one and that in turn means the ruck plan and the forward structure that the Eagles have been planning for for most of the summer is gone for at least the start of the season. Williams came out of the forward line to go into the ruck. He did okay, but now the Eagles are again shuffling the decks elsewhere. Jeremy McGovern's groin soreness kept him out of the match after playing just two quarters of the intra-club the previous week. There's a lot at stake in making sure McGovern is right for round one because the two blokes who would be next in line to play his role, Harry Edwards and Rhett Bazo, are unavailable at this stage also. And Bazo, like McGovern, has a groin problem. Edwards broke his finger in the match simulation the previous weekend. And West Coast ended up using Ruckman Callum Jamison in a tall defender's role because a third alternative, Josh Rotham, is also on the comeback trail from injury. And the carnage didn't end there either. Ruben Jinby will be in concussion protocols after a nasty second quarter head clash trying to tackle Luke Jackson. And in the fourth period of play, Brady Hoff came to the bench limping and was assessed by West Coast Medicos after an awkward landing. Now, they were hoping it's cramp, and hopefully that proves to be the case when they get further medical assessment back today. The Eagles have Jack Darling, Liam Ryan, Dom Sheed, Rotham, young midfielder Clay Hall, all on the injured list at the moment. We are three weeks out from round one with a pre-season hit out against Adelaide this weekend still to come. It has a familiar ring to it. Thought two, if you're a West Coast fan, don't be too concerned about the moderate output from number one draft pick Harley Reid. He's a kid. And while you'll be hoping he does some good things this year, you'll know how good Harley Reid's going to be in about three years' time. And it was a pretty tough environment for a kid. West Coast hung in the game for two quarters, but they were being beaten around the contest. Reid was frequently trading weight with dual Brownlow medalist Nathan Fife around those contests. 
He had a handful of good moments and some not so good moments. He learned that fend-offs are a lot harder in real AFL games. He tried to get rid of Andy Brayshaw once. It didn't work. He tried to get rid of fellow draftee Cooper Simpson once, and it didn't work. I'm not trying to paint an overly rosy picture of things for Harley, but it's probably better for Reed that he had an experience like this now rather than having a softer run into the home and away season and getting the shock of his life in round one. And there weren't exactly that many genuine bright spots for the Eagles anyway. Elliot Yo was very strong around the contest and appears to be physically sound again. That's a big tick. He got through and looked powerful around the middle. Jaden Hunt played with Dash and has had a great summer. I thought Ryan Marrick and Jake Waterman both put their hands up for selection. They did some handy things in attack. Thought three on Fremantle. Nathan Fife has a big part to play in Fremantle's fate this season, and he underlined that on Saturday night. In the first half, he was strong around stoppages. He repeatedly fed the ball to teammates with time and space to use it. And the only time Fife looked a bit old and slow was when he tried to fend off tackles. He certainly isn't quick enough to do any more of that. But if he gets and gives to teammates, as he did most of the time on Saturday, and he's able to stay sound... He gives Fremantle the big-bodied midfielder they lacked last year after David Mundy's retirement. He will be welcomed back into the midfield with open arms. And thought four, whether West Coast, uh, whether Fremantle's top end is good enough to take them back into finals and into contention, they certainly have enviable depth. They picked a stronger team than the Eagles on Saturday night with better availability, and the Eagles did have injuries, but... As West Coast ran out of fit and fresh men, the Dockers were able to remove players like Fife, Hayden Young, Caleb Sarong, Michael Walters, Alex Pierce, and a handful of others from the match and replace them with players who have impressive AFL credentials. Neil Erasmus, Will Brody, Sam Sturt, Corey Wagner, Bailey Banfield, Brandon Walker all came into this game after the first two periods. So did you go to the game? Did you watch it on TV? What were your thoughts? You can text us on 0487 736 736 or you can call us on the Bauer and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bauer and O'Day, because the little things are everything. We're going to have Daniel Cherney on the show later to talk about cricket, but straight after the break, we've got Glenn Quartermain from the West Australian to talk about the events at Mineral Resources Park on Saturday night and Fremantle's comprehensive victory over West Coast. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Visit your local Isuzu dealer today on SENWA. Live from the Toolkit Depot studio, this is Mornings with Mark Duffield. Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. We'd love to hear from you on the show today. There's already a lot of texts coming in about the pre-season derby on the weekend. You can send us those texts 0487 736 736. Well, we'd love to hear from you on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Someone who's done that is Ben from Bentley. Ben, welcome to the show. Good morning, Mark. How are we? Very well, thanks, mate. I believe you've got some thoughts on the preseason derby. Yeah, I do. I just, I've got two things. Um, Fife looked extraordinary. And, um, the way he was moving around, a bit like two or three years ago when he, on that brown line. And it's fantastic to see a fan. 
and also a free event. And the second thing is the whinging coming out of West Coast supporters over the weekend was extraordinary. Just the, the lack of hope they've got and they a lack of realisation of how bad they really are. Um, I don't think in the last 24 months a lot of them have kind of been in this situation before. But they've just got no hope, and as soon as something goes wrong, they throw the towel in, and it's all doom and gloom. But they haven't really ever acknowledged that they are in a rebuild phase, and it's just quite funny to listen to. And you know, I'd just like to get your thoughts on what you're hearing from people like that across town. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think I, like all footy fans do whinge and, and moan. I, I go onto fan sites every now and again. I was amazed when I went onto the Wildcats fan site. Um, uh, last year when they weren't travelling that well. And if any group of fans has had reason to be reasonably satisfied with their team's performance over the years, it's the Wildcats fan. And, and they were fairly strident in their criticism on how they were going. Um, look, fans do um, get down in the mouth. West Coast have had two pretty tough years. And to be honest with you, I just get the feeling that it's shaping up like another tough year because it was very important they were able to keep senior players out there. And a lot of them are already... Um, injured and I'm worried about McGovern given he only played two quarters of that match simulation the previous Saturday and he's already sore in the groin so I think it's going to be a tough year um, but having said that you know as a Frio fan you would know mate they've had plenty of tough years you got to stick it out got to stay with them West Coast crowds did hold up pretty well last year which is a credit to them I hope they keep coming back this year and just a reminder to Eagles fans even if you are disappointed at the moment, you have had a pretty good run of things. So stick with them and hopefully they can get through this and get out the other end. But, uh, Ben, it does look like another very tough year for West Coast, I think. Absolutely, I think. Mate, thanks for calling in on the Barrett and Doday open line. That is 13 12 55 if you want to share your thoughts with us. And we're about to get the thoughts of Glenn Quartermain from the West Australian newspaper. He was at the game with me at Mineral Resources Park on Saturday night. He's a great rider. He's a very experienced rider. Probably me and him are the two old farts amongst the riders in town. Quarters, welcome to the show. G'day, mate, from one old fart to the other. Yes, exactly. So, mate, you're at the game. What did you make of it? First from, let, let's deal with the, the bleaker end of it to start with. What did you make of it from West Coast side? Um, look, I just heard your last call and there are some major concerns there. McGovern definitely is one. And my concerns came before the bounce. So Matt Flynn um, withdrawing with that hamstring tendon injury. Now, the severity of it, the planning for him, we don't know yet. But, I mean, they can take up to eight weeks. So there's your Bailey Williams hopes to plant forward more this year out the window and uh, that's it's all about yeah, first use for the midfield etc so that was the concern entering the game look I thought they showed a bit of pluck in the first half um, they were missing quite a few players and I, I thought at half time you'd think well you know there's there's some definitely you can see the green shoots um, look I thought down down back um, you know Brady Hoff continues to improve and he'll be important this year you know Hunt was very busy he's going to be very busy this year Duff um, cleaning up down there and look so green shoots you know Elliot Yo, great to see him bursting out of stoppage um, let's hope he can stay up and about down 
forward line, um, particularly in the first half, you know, we know what Oscar Allen can do, but I think um, the work rate of um, Waterman and also I thought marriage for me, um, I walked out of that game thinking, you know, there's some real positives there from him. Um, Chester got some time on the wing. So there were some positives there, but, you know, second half, of course, it just fell away a bit. And um, yeah, Adam Simpson's spoken about the contest. That's where it all starts and the rest will grow from there. Well, we saw the contest certainly in the first half, and they had a crack, um, but, you know, pretty well um, on the spread, they were well beaten after that, and uh, I can see the concerns of people, but I think what we saw last year, it's never going to be a quick turnaround, was it? It was never going to be a year where they're going to, you know, I think at best this year, we can hope for about six to eight wins, and I think even that is being very optimistic. Um, But look, it's one pre-season game. So let's just see um, what they throw up against Adelaide this week. It's a travel game. And then they get the week's rest, and hopefully they can get a few back. And um, and they can jag a few wins at home, Dust. So, um, That's the I key, isn't it? Like, to, if yeah. their experienced players can stay out there, then they can jag a few wins at home. And that gives the younger players that are playing around the older guys hope. Um, I yep. think West Coast have finally conceded that the, the dynasty is over, and it took them a while to get there. But my, my, my worry is... <laughs> My worry is McGovern saw after two quarters, you know, Darling yeah. ripping match simulation apart, then ripping a hamstring. Matty Flynn, as you mentioned, restructures the whole thing. They had a Ruckman playing as a power defender. Callum Jamison had to go down back because there's no McGovern. There's no Harry Edwards. He's got a broken finger. There's no Josh Rotham. He's on the comeback trail from injury. And there's no Rhett Bazo. He's got sore groins as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a the, the injury list is piling up already. Hey, Nathan Fife's first half, um, pretty powerful statement, wasn't it? Terrific. And it's been had a great pre-season post-Christmas. Um, we all love seeing him back in there. To be honest, stuff I, I just never sat comfortably with me, the forward line experiment. Um, I'm glad he's back as that inside player. I still feel there's going to be some management there. I don't think we can expect um, a full season out of him. Uh, I, I, I heard Justin Longmuir talking about, you know, he's not going to be the bash and crash player he once was. I think he probably has to be, really. That's the best That's the best version of Nat Fife. Um, the thing is, there are other players in there who can help him out, too. I mean, Jay Graham-Mira, I think, uh, Hayden Young now. Uh, that was a real, a real interest, his um, move to the midfield. How is the... Not only how is that going to impact the dynamic there, but how it was going to impact the dynamic of their defence. And I think Ace played the last couple of games down there last year. He's slotted in nicely. Brandon Walker's waiting in the wings. He's made some uh, played some footy at the weekend too, coming back from, I think he's a, a fair bit earlier than anticipated. So, uh, look, very positive for Fife. Um, they're, they're pretty deep in that midfield. He definitely gives them something that they didn't have last year. Um, Will Brody's another who can fill that role. So if he can get some support and if they can manage him the right way, perhaps rest him for a few games on the road um, I think you know touch wood touch every bit of wood around you because we all want to see Nat Fife back um, to play the best footy you can and hopefully get some finals footy too in the last few years um, of his career So here's a question for you now we've been expecting Hayden Young to play midfield all summer I think that's a fair comment but when you look at the depth in Fremantle's midfield if Fife stands up is there a case to argue that Young actually goes back to half-back, that you free up a spot maybe to get Brody into the team or to use O'Meara in a slightly different role. As we saw on the weekend, 
Erasmus didn't play till after half time and then had about six touches in four minutes in the third quarter. Brayshaw yep. got pushed to a wing at times, which I think is a great move, but it also points to the depth in the inside mid positions. Um, they were able to take Sarong out of the game. You've got Johnson trying to push in there. You've got O'Meara trying to push in there. He was on the wing at times. You've got Brody, who's been surplus to retire requirements for about you know 12 months now, who's shown himself to be a pretty capable player. Is there an argument that they should revert Young to the half-back line? No. I, I like him in the midfield. I think that left foot, they need that left foot for that mid-forward connection. So, uh, the only caveat I'll put on that is, you know, he does go back and it, it takes an intercept mark too. He gives him another uh, intercept player back there. So, well, Brennan Cox is out at the moment. Uh, and I thought Oscar McDonald did a pretty good job at the weekend and he'll... He'll be, um, I think, be able to fill that role to a certain extent until Cox comes back. But um, I'd, I'd keep Young in the midfield. I think that's why you have a bench stuff. I'd be rotating players through that, the insides. And, um, you know, Fife certainly will be um, rotated through that. So not yet. Um, let's, see how, let's see how it pans out. It's a great plan B. That would be my answer. I think he's... Uh, it's a fantastic uh, weapon to have up, up your sleeve, just throw Young back. And, look, he may do that from time to time during the season if the game sort of um, demands it. But for me, I've been calling him for, to, for him to play in the midfield for 12 months now, so I'm not going to waver now. Come on, mate. We're, uh, we're in the media. We're allowed to change our minds and go back on our first thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, do it all the time. Harley Reid, what did you make of his first outing against another club? Yeah, I thought he got a fair bit out of it. I think we've got to be careful to temper our expectations. He's a kid. He's um, he's he's an extractor, isn't he? Um, that's his game. I think we're going to see some great flashes this year of, uh, wow. Uh, we'll say that a couple of times, but I think we've got to be patient. I can't expect him to step straight in and get 20-plus. It's just not going to happen. So, look, I thought it was... If you think about it, he wakes up in the morning... Uh, gee, what's going to happen today? No doubt he would have been very nervous. And um, it wakes up and then goes to bed at night. He spent time on Bracer. He spent the first, I think, eight minutes in the, uh, at the, at the, in the middle um, and was rotated through there off half-back. But he spent time on Fife at stoppage. What a great learning experience for him. And uh, he's just going to get incrementally better and better and better and better. So, uh, look, I, I thought, you know, I, I didn't go there thinking, oh, I want to see eight highlights and 20 possessions I went there. You just want to see what the future can hold. And look, I thought it was it was, it was was a good first up for him. You know, I'm not spectacular, but a lot of hope there. You know, that's what you want to see. And thankfully, it was only a cramp there near the end. I was a little bit worried there for a moment. Yeah, so. he was definitely a cramp. I'm, I'm waiting to see on Brady Hoff because they were certainly doing a medical yep. assessment on Brady Hoff when he came to the bench. Um, yeah, yeah, the other one that worried me a bit was Amos, but I'm told he's OK. He just landed awkwardly at one stage. It didn't look great when he came off at three-quarter time, but, of course, they were rotating, a play, you know, they were managing a few players at the weekend. I think against Port on Friday, you'll see a lot of those players play um, a lot more uh, four-quarter footy. Now, you liked Fremantle's forward line. Um, I did, loved I, it. I wasn't as convinced as you for a while. I thought they came into the game strongly. But Tom Emmett, he, he's shaping as yep. the Lockie Schultz replacement, would you say? He's like for like, isn't he? I mean, they go, they, they bat pretty deep when you turns about, 
when you talk about Lockie Schultz, you're talking 33 goals, 17 goal assists, and of course that wonderful defensive pressure, the tackling pressure. So you're just not going to replace that. But you don't have to replace it with one player. You can play, replace it with two or three. They've got so much depth there in terms of numbers. I mean, Walters, Switzkowski, Frederick, you'd think they're, they're, they're starters. Uh, Walters has had a very good preseason. Um, but they're, they're pretty deep after that, really. There's a few lining up. So I think Tom Emmett, most likely for me, particularly, let's see what happens this week, but I thought his game at the weekend, not just, I think he's kicked one, might have kicked a couple, he missed a couple, but he's given a couple. And he gave us a bit of a... I think when you talk about the defensive pressure, um, that's where I think Tom Emmett is most like Lockie Schultz. So for me, I'd have him in their side for round one at, right at this point. And... I think Justin Longmuir said the first half of the weekend was probably where the selectors are thinking at this stage. And um, we'll see a bit more of it against Port Adelaide on Friday. So, yeah, I, I love him, mate. I reckon he's definitely a big pick-up for them. I think he played the last two last year, didn't he, So and showed a bit. So, yep. Tom Emmett, very impressive. What do you do if you're Adam Simpson now? Well, you have to back yourself. I mean, it's... it's I mean, you can... Okay, so one example is, do you persist with Andrew Gaff on a wing? And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to pick on poor old Andrew Gaff, who's been a great servant of the club, but this is just where they're at. So my, my call would be to go for youth on, that, on the wing. Um, you know, you do need experience out there to help the players learn, but I think we're at a point now where you've really got to back your youth. And um, to, to a point where I'm not talking about playing a key position defender on an absolute gun forward and just ruining their confidence. But I, I think you've got to go for it where it's possible. And I, I think he has to just back back where they're going, back the, the, the fact they've got, they're now going to the draft, back the fact that they're going for youth. And I think he's going, going to have to remain positive. Um, it's going to be a tough year. It's just, you can see that already. So, and, and I don't think they're shying away from that. I think they're expecting that. That's the sort of the feeling I get tough from any meetings we've had with them is that, you know, this is a journey, so we're not expecting an overnight miracle. It's a tough, I think it's going to be a really tough year for Adam Simpson, but that's what he signed up for. Yep, absolutely, and he's well paid to do that as well. Quarters, always a pleasure having you on the show. You can read Glenn's stuff in the West Australian, very fine sports writer. Thanks for joining us, mate. Anytime, mate. Pleasure. A lot of great texts coming in on the text line 0487 736 736. Keep them coming. We'd love to hear more callers like Ben on the Barrett and Doday open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back with more after the news. Welcome back to the show. Got a lot of good texts coming in on 0487 736 736. The text line, a brilliant one from Noddy. We always look forward to our good text from Noddy. He says, expectation, the source of hope and the origin of disappointment. The Matty Flynn injury for the Eagles. Thank you, Noddy. Keep them coming, folks. If you're on a way, on your way to a break this long weekend, remember a reminder for the upcoming long weekend that double demerits apply from midnight Thursday until midnight Monday for drink or drug driving, not wearing a seatbelt or running a red light. You get caught and you could lose your license twice as fast. We'll be back with more after the break. 
Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Keep those texts coming on 0487 736 736. We'll get to them later in the show. But first, Daniel Cherney is a fantastic journalist. He covers football and cricket for Code Sports, among other things. We're going to talk to Daniel about the Aussies sweeping the Kiwis, Kiwis in the T20 series over there in the land of the long white cloud. And we probably will just get in a mention about Western Australia winning yet another domestic cricket title as well. Daniel, welcome to the show. As all I'd expect. Now, good to be with you, Duff. So, mate, 3-0 in the T20s. What did you make of the series and what are the implications for the, the World Cup coming up, do you think? Oh, look, I think overall when it's 3-0, it's uh, obviously a very uh, promising and, and uh, pleasing outcome for Australia. I mean, in the long run, no one really remembers these bilateral T20 series, albeit they have changed the uh, qualification, the structure now, so that uh, these matches will for the Chapel Hadley Trophy, which Australia has retained. So, I suppose some um, somewhat prestigious silverware, but nonetheless, you're right. They're very much uh, seen as build-up matches for the World Cup. Uh, and uh, look, I think given Australia's you know, significant wins, um, it, it was broadly a very positive series. Uh, there were a few selection queries heading into the series, but I think look, Tim David, given his form against the West Indies and then that first game against New Zealand has absolutely locked up that spot at number six. I think he's already uh, in the box seat, but I think there's, if there are any doubts on the back of a, a middling big bash campaign, then I think they've been very much quashed by his, his performance there. Um, you know, elsewhere, the bowling, I mean, with, with the, uh, the big three all back firing, uh, they, were a bit, um, they, they were a bit costly in, in game one, but uh, they all hit back pretty well across the series. Australia's bowling generally went pretty well. Uh, Nathan Ellis, I think, having played games two and three, I think he's now just about locked in his spot in that squad. He was outstanding um, in, in both games two and three that Australia won more comfortably. Spencer Johnson was uh, well there yesterday in uh, in Auckland. I still think he's probably got a little bit of an uphill battle to make it, uh, given um, how strong Australia's bowling depth. You know, I suspect he'll probably only take the four front-line paces, so he, he might just miss out at this stage, albeit there's still a bit to, to go through. And then Steve Smith's probably the biggest talking point. I mean, he, he was probably the biggest talking point going in. Was he going to do enough to secure his spot, or A, in the 11, and then B, in, in the squad itself? And having missed out in a couple of innings and, and without an IPL deal, I think he now is uh, he's up against it to make that, that World Cup, given his, um, given you know they've got better options there with Travis Head and David Warner open to batting, and, and Matt Short, who played really well yesterday uh, at number three, and he looks to have... Um, you know, he, he, I think he's just about got that spot in the squad uh, and I think he probably pip- he's probably pipping Steve Smith as it stands. I was going to ask you about Matt Short. He's, he's done a lot to earn his spot, hasn't he, really, with the way he's batted in BBL and also obviously that knock uh, yesterday. Yeah, look, he has. Look, he's been a, real, a bit of a late bloomer, Matt Short. It was, it was a Victoria uh, invested a lot into him over the years and he, he, he probably flattered to deceive at times and then moved to the strikers and had some real success there uh, in the last few seasons. He's, he's scored a lot of runs in recent times. Uh, yeah, had uh, had some major success there, and uh, look, it's, it's been hard because I suppose he's made a lot of runs in the BBL, opening the batting. Uh, and but it's, you know, it's been hard to get an opportunity there, opening the batting for Australia. First, he had Aaron Finch, and then David Warner, Travis Head, Mitch Marsh. Like he, he's a fair few runs down the pecking order there. But he batted at three yesterday, made a quick five twenty-seven. Obviously, offers a little bit with the ball. He's a very good fielder. Um, so look, I think just his versatility across the board. I know he didn't, he didn't end up batting in that first game when he was supposed to come in at number seven. So. That was probably a bit of a wasted opportunity for them. They would have liked to see him down there, given that's probably if he, if he is in the 11, that's probably where he's going to play. But I think he's probably, as I said, for the, for the various reasons I touched on, 
Um, the fact that you know they can use him in a few different guises, I, I think he's probably edged out the likes of Smith. And then the, the wild card, as I might have touched on last week, remains Cameron Grant. He's uh, he wasn't in the score. They preferred to use him in the uh, in the Sheffield Shield ahead of the Test tour to New Zealand, which uh, begins series begins on Thursday. But he is playing in the in the IPL, um, so he'll have a long chance to sort of push his late late case for selection. And um, you know he, he could yet leapfrog a few of these guys. What's your expectation of the upcoming tests against the Kiwis, Daniel? Look, I think history suggests that Australia should win. I mean, it's just you know, there's plenty of false dawns in New Zealand over the years where you, you thought, oh, they're they going to go in and. You know they've been in reasonably good form, and then Australia still roll them. And with the Aussies, while you know I know they went brilliant over the home summer, uh, and particularly the conclusion of the West Indies in that last test in Brisbane, you know they are still reigning World Test champions. They still have a fearsome attack. The batting's been a bit patchy, but I think that, you know there's still plenty of match winners there. Um, I just think that's a bit too much quality for New Zealand. Um, New Zealand maybe if it been two or three years ago, it might have been a different conversation when the Black Caps were probably a bit closer to their peak around that period when they won the World Test Championship in 2021. Um, but they just lost lost a bit of bit of gloss. I think some of the, you know, the guys have probably passed their peak at this point. It's not to say there isn't some talent there. And, um, you know, clearly they, they, they've got a bit there with um, uh, with, with some of the young guys coming through with, with O'Rourke and then Rachel Ravindra up the top of the, um, you know, up in the top, top three making runs. But, uh, as I said, I still think Australia probably wins, and you know, I've had to had to put on the line. I'd say two nil. So, obviously, we won't go into too much analysis about the Marsh Cup, but I was wondering, did you see the sixes that Hilton Cartwright hit? I saw some of it, yeah. Or the, or the last one, the, the one that won the uh, the one that won the uh, tournament, uh, secured the victory. Uh, I think it's just that cleaned up a bus there. Yeah, nearly uh, took out a uh, bus on the. Is that? Have you been to that <laughs> facility? Is that a big facility? Um, that that must have travelled a long way. That ball. I haven't had the privilege yet, but uh, I know they they um, they're really um, bullish about that facility, and they, they, it's, it's finally they've got a dedicated centre there. It's called Cricket Central out there for New South Wales cricket, so they're pretty big fans of it. And uh, yeah, um, just watch out if Hilton Cartwright's in the Sydney. But he 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 took a brilliant catch actually, Hilton Cartwright, two summers ago in in the corresponding match at the Junction Oval uh, in the final winning against New South Wales. So he uh, he knows how to get it done in these finals. He's been a really good player, Hilton Cartwright. I mean, he's the kind of guy I, I, I hope hasn't been completely lost to the Australian radar. He's probably more a white ball chance at this stage of his career. But, uh, you know, when you think of him, he's sort of a bit of a trivia question. Played a couple of tests way back when, 2017. But he's, not, he's still not that old. He made his debut very young. And um, yeah, he's, he's a really impressive guy. I don't know, like his leadership credentials and his character. Um, and, uh, yeah, credit to him for, uh, for getting it done. Daniel, always a pleasure to talk to you on the show. You can read Daniel's stuff on Code Sports, a super journalist covering either football or cricket. Um, get amongst his stuff. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Tuff. Good on you. Daniel Cherney from Code Sports talking about the cricket in New Zealand. All right, we'll take a break and be back with some callers and some text messages after the break. Yes, welcome back to the show out here at the Toolkit Depot studio. We've already had one caller come through on the Barra and O'Day open line 13 12 55. Unfortunately, Josh from Averley was going to be our second caller and he's had to go to work. We ran out of time <laughs> with Josh. Um, but uh, if you want to ring in, please do. And lots of texts on the text line 0487 736 736. Paul Heath, the gun producer, is going to get through a few of them now. Morning, Duff. Uh, Murray from Cottesloe, first off the rank. Be uh, nice there this morning. Uh, Duff, was Cooper Simpson the most impressive draftee on display uh, on Saturday? Uh, Cooper Simpson kicked a nice goal, stuck mm. a nice tackle on Harley Reid. Yeah, um, but nice finishing. 
let's not forget he came on fresh when everyone else was tired. Mm. This is the thing that Fremantle's depth enabled them to do. Mm. They were able to inject players with very good AFL credentials into the game when West Coast players had already played yeah. two and a half, three quarters. So that was a advantage for Fremantle late in that game. Um, but yeah, I think Fremantle is absolutely wrapped mm. with Cooper Simpson. He was an AIS guy, so he probably would have been a top 20 draft pick, just had a really interrupted draft year. Um, so they were stoked to get him. And I believe that had he still been there when West Coast took the next pick, they definitely would have had him. So mm. both, both WA teams were very keen on him. Coming to WA either way. Uh, Jason is up next. Morning, Duff. West Coast Eagles looked a rabble, honestly. Pre-season, sure, but they've got to sort something out or this season will be painfully slow. I think it's going to be painfully so slow, Jason. The thing they have to do is make progress and clearly make progress and show their members and fans they're making progress. And I think they haven't been able to do that in the last couple of years. And Don Pike, the new CEO, has spoken about durability and talking about training for durability, which I took to mean they were training harder to be more durable in season. They're going to keep training hard, but I think what they need to find is who is durable and who isn't because there are too many players on West Coast list that have the look of broken athletes. Mm. And this is their problem. There are too many guys sitting on the the sidelines now. And so you don't get a glimpse of what West Coast at their absolute best looks like because they just don't get their absolute best out there. It's It's, It's time to move on and get durable again and then you can start to progress. And it's all very well to talk about having senior players around the kids, but... Look at the senior players. Duggan is a co-captain now. He plays. Allen is a co-captain now. He plays. Yo looks like he's sound again now. He plays. Uh, Tom Barris is in the back line. He plays. Uh, Tommy Cole on a half-back flank is a senior player now. He's been around since the 2018 Premiership. He plays. Jamie Cripps is still out there and sound. He plays. They don't have to stuff this team with moderately performed veterans anymore. Yeah. They need to find the ones that will stand up and help the kids and start shifting the others out and getting kids in there and giving them games. Mm. But is there a concern that if what's happened up until this point hasn't already proven that to them or made that? No, I think they're aware of that now. Yeah. But they were going to start the season off, pick best team. Okay. Now, Andrew Gaff wasn't their worst on the weekend, by the way. He was steady yeah. on a wing. Yeah. But... but and as Quarter said, not to pick on Gaffy, but where's he taking them? It, it's great to have a – not putting down to selfishness, anything like that, but just it's, it's great to have a personal good game, but are you helping the team in a forward direction? I think that's the question they have to ask themselves. Mind you, at the moment, they've got injuries to the point where he probably yeah. is in their best available team. It's so the hard part, yeah. This is the problem. They just can't get him out there. Continuity. And, Consistency. And, w- and until that changes, mm. not a lot can change. Uh, Dave saying, hi, Duff. Uh, difference in Eagles list and Fremantle's is huge. When you consider they are both pretty similar in age and experience, Eagles have a long rebuild ahead of them. Fremantle's midfield depth is looking the strongest I've seen for a while. Cooper Simpson to debut round one. He has speed, smarts, and uses the ball well. Yeah, but you mentioned the depth mm. and, like, um, Neil Erasmus wasn't, yeah. In the best 22 at the start. Now, he's a very impressive player. Yep. Uh, Will Brody was a very impressive AFL midfielder in 2022. He wasn't in the best 22 at the start. Mm. Um, 
Sam Sturt looked like he was establishing himself in the team last year. He wasn't in the best 22 at the start. They have a lot of depth. So does Cooper Simpson push into the team for round one? I think he looks really good. And I think he looks like he's going to be a really good player. But um, that's going to be, yeah, unless they get some injuries between now and round one, it's going yeah. to be a hard 23 to make in round one. Uh, there's still a heap of text to get through, but I like this one. Cohen Livingston looks like a long-term winner. Uh, Reid showed glimpses. It would be nice to have a few less injuries. As an Eagles supporter, I have zero expectations in regards to wins. Just want to see improvement in the kids and the game plan to evolve. I thought Livingston stood out a little bit in uh, the bits I saw of him. Um yeah. Big job. For what he was up to, yeah. But back up 18, Ruckman, you yeah. know, like a big job. Um, clearly, they've got him ahead of Harry Barnett at the moment, yeah. which, which yep. is interesting. So, yeah, no, he's shown a bit. Um, they clearly like him because they had him rucking against Matt Flynn in the match simulation mm. last weekend. So they think he's going somewhere. And I think that text is spot on. Mm. You know, whatever they win, whatever they lose, they need to feel they're better placed at the end of the season and their fans need to feel they're better placed. And if they can do that, then I think they're on the right track and their fans will start to see light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Um, If they end this season like they've ended the last two seasons, I think there is zero chance that Adam Simpson is still there next year. So that's the key. Adam, give them some light at the end of the tunnel. We'll take some news and we'll be back with the second hour of the show after the news. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Lovely day in Perth, building to a top of 32 degrees. Had lots of text coming through on the text line 0487 736 736 and we've had calls on the open line, the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Dave from Bunbury is one of those callers. Dave, welcome to the show. Morning, Duff. How are you this morning? Very well, thank you, mate. What would you like to talk with us about today? Uh, just just uh, WA winning the final yesterday. It's not so much about the final, but just more about the, the squad, actually. Um, the, Sam Whiteman mentioned yesterday in his speech that they've gone for, I think it's like 22 or 23 players for the, the season in the one-day team over, I think it's, what, seven or eight games? Yep. Which is extremely impressive. And then if you go back to the final last year, uh, not many teams are playing a grand final and then literally half of that team aren't playing the following final. Like players that didn't play yesterday, you've got Inglis, Mitch Marsh, Stoinis, Turner, Hardy and Matt Kelly, I'm pretty sure, who are all missing all the places, obviously, well-credentialed players. It's, just, it's actually extremely impressive to be able to do that. And three in a row, it's just there. Speaks volumes of the depth of our cricket over here. I think it speaks volumes for the depth of the cricket, Dave, and it speaks volumes for the the pathways that the Wacker has put in place. It's like fantastic. You look at the just the all rounders for starters. You know, so Cameron Green is supposedly the next big, big thing, but then there's Aaron Hardy, then there's Mitchell Marsh, you know, Hilton Cartwright who uh, hit the winning runs and played the match winning innings yesterday was once considered an all-rounder as well. We've got four or five or six guys that would be, you know, class all-rounders at any other state in Australia. You look at our batting stocks, we've got national team contenders there. You look at our bowling stocks, we've got national team contenders there, or guys who are just below, but very highly respected nationally. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's a credit to the Wacker, and it's a credit to um, Adam Voges and the programs he's been running as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. And also, if I could throw on top of that, you had 
Richardson and uh, or Kelly injured, Richardson and Lance Miles all injured. So it's just it's it's an embarrassment of riches, and it's a yeah, as a, a massive fan, it's just an enjoyable period now, cricketing uh, culture history, I suppose. Long may it continue, Dave. Long may it continue. <laughs> That's it. it. Thanks for joining us on the show. Enjoy your day. Good on you, mate. Thanks for joining us on the show. If you want to have your say, you can. The text line is 0487 736 736 or call us on the open line, as Dave from Bunbury has just done, the Barrett and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Well, Michael Roberts is the CEO of the West Australian Football Commission. They've got a big waffle season coming up. Uh, Michael joins us on the show to talk about that and a few other measures the WAFC is thinking of putting in place to keep its competition vibrant and even. Michael, welcome to the show. Good morning, Mark. <clears throat> so, mate, uh, are you looking forward to the waffle season? I'm doing the ins and outs at every waffle club at the moment for Code Sports and it looks like that you're going to have a number of very, very strong teams this year. Yeah, I think that's, it's been one of the more pleasing things over the last couple of years has been the, the depth of or the evenness of the competition. I think we uh, last year probably six clubs could have made the finals. Um, the average winning margins de- decreasing each year, which is really pleasing. Um, and yeah, we, we've started to market the competition as well with our win-win campaign. So hopefully we're getting more people to take notice of the waffle, bring fans back to it, and uh, and the results are, uh, are starting to show. What sort of levers can you pull to make sure it stays even or it gets more even and that clubs that have been down the bottom become more competitive as quickly as you can get them to be competitive? Yeah, competitive balance is a really tricky one for us because you know the AFL and, and other um, codes have, have draft systems in place that they use to sort of uh, create, a, you know, get those, those clubs that finish down the bottom, um, get some more talent into there. But we don't have a draft, so we have a few measures such as the um, the total player payments or the salary cap, the, the points that are allocated to each list, um, other transfer fees and, and concessions like that. So we have to, unfortunately, at the moment, it's a, a bit of a um, it's a bit of a manual process. Um, <clears throat> noting that th- these measures only came in about six years ago, so we've started to see some of the results of that. Um, but uh, yeah, we're hopefully working with the clubs at the moment on a strategy that might actually see a bit more, um, I guess, automation and, and acceptance that um, you know there's set set concessions in place for where you finish on the ladder over a couple of years. My understanding is that there have been concessions allowed to Perth that they have extra salary cap space this year that has enabled them to go and get um, certainly three marquee players in particular. Of course, they've got Sam Simpson, they've got Charlie Constable, and they've got Aaron Clark, who are all considered to be uh, very important to Perth bid to climb the ladder and get back into finals contention. How has that been accepted by other clubs, and um, and what sort of what are those measures specifically that you've allowed the Demons? Yeah, so you're right. They've got increased um, salary cap this year. Um, they've got it for, for the next two years. Um, and they had some allowances around the number of interstate players that they could bring in. So this is, um, again, one of these measures that we, we would love not to have to do um, manual um, sort of one-offs. But when you look at a club like Perth, who um, you know have barely made finals over the last four decades... Um, we, we everyone always talks about we've got to do something about Perth. So Perth have um, they actually came to us formally 
uh, and requested a, a bit of a review. So our operations um, team went in, reviewed, um, made some recommendations for them, but also said came back to the, the commission and said, you know, we, we need a bit of a um, an injection into the club um, that uh, will allow them to be able to get some immediate results and then hopefully they can um, weed those out or phase those out over the next couple of years as, um, you know, hopefully some success comes um, and you get a bit of a change in, in the, um, the the culture and um, just the, the vibe around Perth. So, uh, yeah, they've, they've done extremely well in, in recruiting. I think the other clubs acknowledge that something had to be done, um, but, uh, you know, it's probably... Uh, one of these things that you know the club has to have a really hard look at themselves um, to make sure that they're doing everything possible before these sorts of things um, are provided to them. Would I be right in saying it's fifty thousand over two years, thirty one year, and twenty the next? Is that the the number, Michael? Yeah, it's roughly yeah, it's roughly like that. Um, and you know, when when the salary cap for us is sort of two hundred and forty five. 250,000. It, it's uh, it's significant, um, but at the same time, you know, bringing in one player, and I think this has been the the historic thing. We we allow provide allowances that probably give you one player extra, and one player can't turn the fortunes of a whole club, um, especially at state league level. So, um, yeah, so I think these these added allowances have, have provided Perth with the opportunity to bring in probably a couple of quality players that, um, and, and from what we're hearing, they're, they're not just quality players, they're quality individuals as well, great leaders at, at their previous clubs. So hoping that um, they'll bring those sorts of uh, skills and qualities um, to Perth and, and to the waffle competition. Yeah, Charlie Constable, I believe, is absolutely known for his leadership and, and has already made a big impact on the player culture of Perth. Of course, the player we left out when we're talking about the ones they brought in is uh, Blake Schlensog as well, who's uh, come back and will play for the Demons. I think the other factor here, Michael, is that they had a runner-up Colts team last year, so the key will be to stabilise the senior team and then hopefully bring these kids through and make them successful Waffle players as well. Yeah, and I think that's something that we've really identified. That the clubs go after these top-line sort of ex-AFL players um, and spend a lot of time um, trying to recruit those players. And we find that they might just come in for a couple of years and go. But the, the real art to developing a waffle list is, as you said, being successful at Colts and, and, and keeping those players in that are probably going to be your 100, 150-game waffle players. And, and you note that, like a West Perth, for instance, going back a couple of years, that, that basically delivered a, a premiership off that model. They had no AFL players in their team for the grand final or ex-AFL players. Um, but they were all good, solid reserves players, um, Colts players who had come through their system. And that's, I guess, the, the proven model. Now, you are taking a look at things like zones and other measures that you can do. Where are you at with that? And I believe there was a radical proposal suggested um, at a meeting of some kind over the last couple of weeks where it was suggested that you could possibly link PSA schools to clubs so that uh, a club could uh, could reap the sort of benefits, I guess, from a strong PSA team that Claremont gets, say, out of Scotch College. No, we haven't gone into that, that detail yet. So what we've done is um, this is all part of the the revamping a strategy that everyone all our clubs buy into um, because we want to make our we want to make the waffle competition sustainable and we realize that one of the key aspects of that is is 
making clubs competitive and so that fans can um, expect that their clubs are going to play finals every couple of years and, and every eight to ten are going to push for a, a premiership. So the first workshop that we had where all the clubs came in um, was to talk about the competitive balance um, and make sure that the measures that we actually have in place, like the TPP, the um, the point system, the transfer systems as well, make sure that they're working okay or if there's any other ideas that we've got. Um, so zones play a crucial part in this, but that, that was off the table for the first workshop um, because we know it's such a big one. So that, that'll be the next workshop in about a month's time. Um, but look, PSA schools has been one that um, is, is really challenging for the waffle to, to work with because yeah, we've got great relationships um, with our clubs and the PSA schools, but that sort of information of, of who's playing at PSA schools because they're their own little um, league and, and network there, that, that information isn't shared. So we get a player up to about the age of 16 who we know is in our system and then all of a sudden they go missing for a couple of years in the PSA system because they're not playing club football and then they'll re-emerge after that. So what we're trying to do is work with the PSA to make sure that we're, we're better aligned so we can actually see where the kids are coming. But, um, you know, the, the anecdotal and, and, and it's probably fair to say um, research shows that um, some clubs and, and Clement in particular have um, some really good quality PSA schools and a number of them whereas other clubs don't have, have any um, in their zone so it's all part of something that uh, we'll thrash uh, out in the next few months Yeah, it feeds into the next question I guess Claremont has had a dominant Colts team for some time doesn't it and they also have a very strong um, set of country zones obviously there's the Albany zone which has been good for them and there's the the Kimberley zone which has been good for them is that are those zones under threat do you have to look at giving those zones to someone else or have Claremont would Claremont make the case that well we've done a great job in these zones we should get to keep them I think there's a bit of both. There's there's the the facts there that the traditional zone systems, especially in the regional areas, you know, are, are different now. Um, we, we're seeing a lot of coastal residents. Football down in the southwest is is really thriving, um, and you know the junior junior areas down there are almost um, rivaling what metro. Um, regions are up here so there's going to be benefits for those clubs that have um, have their zones in the southwest and and then clubs who have had traditional strongholds in the uh, wheat belt towns are are seeing that uh, as with any sort of society changes that farms are are being bought by companies now and other families rather than families going into to run that farm so the the populations are declining and, and football's becoming tougher to run in those regions so it's it's really just to have a snapshot of where we are because we all we always use the the um, the hearsay and the anecdotes and and what we've engaged with is a basically a company that works in the demographics area and, and statistics to show us exactly where we're at exactly what the populations are looking like around WA and then what the trends are moving forward and overlay that with football data as well so that we can get a real good um, picture but as you say some clubs do an amazing job because they invest in those zones probably because there's something there for them to invest in. But um, we're putting that all on the table because, um, you know, we need to do things differently to future-proof the uh, the waffle competition. Yeah, I can tell you, Michael, that when I was growing up in the Shire of West Arthur, the Shire of West Arthur had a population of around 1,400. And I saw a recent figure where the population of West Arthur is now about 700. 
So that's halved mm. in, uh, in in my lifetime, and that's you're right. Everyone buys everyone else's farms, and the the population of the district gradually um, decreases. Hey, um, Eastermantle's financial model is interesting, isn't it? It's a new one. There's no fences, which means they they can't charge admission to most games. I believe they may be able to strike a deal to charge for for things like a derby, but. How confident are you they can make it work? And what sort of detail of planning have you gone into with the Sharks to, to make sure they give themselves the best chance of making it work? Yeah, there's probably um, it's maybe a bit of a concern for us is the, the lack of detail that we've, we've been able to see so far. And, and I think the, the project um, has, has been sort of delayed a little bit and they're only now well, Belgravia Leisure who are going to run the complex are in and, and I think... Um, with what happened last year with the club's TPP investigation, change of CEO, they're probably a little bit behind in terms of really locking down a few key um, items that will show and be able to show us how they uh, expect to to put a successful um, financial model in place. Um, Look, you can't question clubs for trying new things. Um, We're all about growing the relevance and and this is one. I think there's probably still a bit of concern from the competition around how one club that is not charging will impact the whole competition. Um, and, you know, we would love to see a club that, or East Fremantle in particular, going into this with probably a little bit more reserves um, so that if, if it doesn't work, they're able to potentially draw on those rather than, you know, we've seen our clubs put their financials out. East Fremantle have lost a a bit of money the last couple of years and, and probably don't have the, um, the enjoyment of a, a big bank balance to uh, take risks like this. So we'll be watching it closely and, and I guess our, our biggest hope is that um, there's opportunities to review um, the, the situation if, if it's not proving successful for the club. West Coast waffle team has been an issue for you over the last couple of years. You took some steps to try and strengthen that, but they're getting injuries again running into the season, which means fewer AFL-listed players available to play in the waffle. Are you concerned or is it too soon? Yeah, it probably is a bit too soon. Um, you know, we, we had... Um, we, we have provided them with, with extra measures as well. I think they've they've recruited um, some strength and depth, which is what they, they needed. I, I think they were... They not only had the AFL-listed injuries, but their recruitment last year in the waffle, the, the sort of three big names that they had um, that our cap enabled them to have, um, they also got injured. So they, they were inju- injuries all over the place. Um, every AFL club, every list is going to have injuries. I guess it's, you know, last year we were getting to a stage where West Coast could barely put an AFL team on the, on the park. Um, I'm confident that that surely can't happen again. Um, you know, we, we met with... Um, Don Pike the other day, so he, he's fully aware of um, the the deadline, I guess, that the, the AFL uh, or the West Coast Eagles have before they need to let us know what they're doing for season 2025. Um, so let's hope they hope they get off to a, a good, solid start and um, the club themselves can see the benefits of playing in the waffle. Any concern that if they struggle again, they may opt to try and join a, a national reserves competition or or that the, the AFL may push clubs towards a, an AFL reserves competition? Uh, I, I think if they do see themselves not successful again in the first half of the year or specifically before that deadline, it's probably an easier decision to make to try and do things differently and change. Um, you know, from a waffle point of view, 
we would love them in the competition. I think, I think personally, and I, I know that commissioners do that. It's the best thing for WA football to have West Coast Eagles have a, a presence in the waffle, whether it's a standalone or whether it's an aligned team. Um, so, you know, we, we just hope it works. Um, I, I don't think the VFL system, um, you know, that's basically a, a pure AFL reserves now. So you can get one one sort of uh, outcome from playing in that, but uh, we think for, a, for what's best for WA footy and what's best for the players, younger players on your AFL list over here in WA is to be able to stay and, and play in a quality competition such as the Waffle. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And I think um, the VFL, there's a lot of people in the VFL that aren't happy about what's happened over there. So hopefully we can figure that out and keep our players playing in the local competition. Michael, it's great to have you on the show. There's so many more things we can talk about. I think we're going to have to get you back on and talk about a few more things uh, in the very near future. But thanks for joining us and sharing that information with us today and uh, look forward to speaking with you again over the season. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mark. It's Michael Roberts. He's the CEO of the West Australian Football Commission. Give us your thoughts on 0487 736 736. We'd love to hear from you on the Bower and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Bower and O'Day, because the little things are everything. We'll be back after the break. The Gators, a bit of pushing and shoving, and Southern Districts do north Oh, the umpire. That was crazy. That was crazy. Just grabbed the umpire. The little smaller umpire as well. I think it was Warwick Williams grabbed him. I'm not sure yep, why him. he would have grabbed him. Pulled him into the contest. That Pulled him into the scrimmage and then back out again. Never seen that before. You can't do that. That is a red gut. That is sent off. You cannot touch Unusual. the umpire. Yeah, the umpire going to his back pocket yeah. to get yeah, the report told. card out. Yeah, he's I think told the umpires to get are getting info through their headsets here. You can see some of the umpires touching their ears. That is next season ending, if not I mean, in the AFL, you touch an umpire, oh. you're, let alone do and what you did, that's not touched. the young fella. That was unusual. It was The youngest umpire out there. He's not even 18. But it was good to see, actually, some of the players went to him yeah. to check that he was okay. Uh, he, he must have said to them, don't touch me, because then they sort of backed off a little bit. But uh, good to see some of them just go and check, make sure that he was all right, which he is. Mark Noonan, the central umpire there, the most senior umpire. Oh, no. No, you can't no. come back on. Is that what he's just said to Warwick I think Williams? He, I think he's just gone like that to, to the boundary interchange people. That is it. You cannot put on a player for him. He has been sent off. That was the Northern Territory, Northern Territory Football League elimination final. Mm. Uh, PINT versus Southern Districts. I'm not too sure what PINT stands for. Um, but that was Warwick Williams... Um, so what happened, there was a, a fairly robust passage of play where a Southern Districts player uh, met a PINT player head-on and um, and hurt him, fair to say. Um, it, it looked like just going lower and harder. He was going for the ball. Mm. There was a bit of a scuffle. The umpires ran in to um, sort it out. Warwick Williams had already hit a Southern Districts player, and Warwick Williams has just come out of uh, prison after serving 14 months for assault. Mm. That's the other thing. He's hit a Southern Districts player and then grabbed the teenage umpire, yanked him into the scuffle and then threw him out again on the ground. Um, 
Now, if you think this is a fly-by-night competition, listen to the names that play in this competition. Yeah. Jai Bolton, the dual Sandover medalist, was playing in that game. He was playing for Southern Districts. Zach Smith, former Geelong and Gold Coast Ruckman, playing in that competition. Jed Anderson was playing in that game. Reese Matheson, mm. former Brisbane player, plays in that competition. Mitch Robinson has played in that competition. Jared Brander from West Coast and GWS plays in that competition. Ashton Hams, Lockie O'Brien, just delisted by Carlton. Um, Ryan Clark, the the former Sydney player. They're all playing in this competition. This is not a fly-by-night competition. To have something like that happen in a competition, they're going to have to throw the book yeah. at Warwick Williams. And there's probably going to have to be maybe um, some questions about you know, reintroduction of players back into uh, the competition, you know, when, when this pops up. Um, <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen something like this? You know, on a fit, well, you know, recently, <laughs> at least. Like. Someone I know hit an umpire. Yeah. You know, and I won't mention his name. Yeah. He's actually a pretty good fellow, really, but he hit mm. an umpire down the South West Football League. And what had happened is there'd been a scuffle and it was punches were being thrown and the umpire came up behind him and grabbed him right. from behind. He thought he was being grabbed. Yeah, by an opposition player. And, and he was yeah. about to be donged and he spun around and belted him before mm. he looked. I th- yeah. He got years. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So wow, yeah. It's, um, we just hope that the uh, yeah the umpire's going okay, and it seems like you know that yeah people are checking in on him and making sure. Um, but yeah, well, wow. it's amazing that that happens in a competition of that profile. Yeah, um, that something like that could happen. Yeah, because that could maybe even get you know their insurance in a bit of danger. You know, like with the with the company that sort of looks after. Oh, you know, not, like it, not, not only that, if they don't treat that incident yeah. right. I would have thought any funding they get from the AFL, mm. the AFL would be saying, you will do the right thing here or else uh, don't um, mm. uh, don't expect too much funding from us. Yeah, which you can totally understand. Absolutely. If that's, uh, that's a yeah, poor image problem right there, for sure. Umpires are untouchable. Mm. All right, we'll take a break and be more back with a lot more of your text messages after the break in the last half hour of the show. Oh, no. That's unbelievable. Oh, boy. Well, this is sensational. The umpire has gone down. Now, there are a number of others coming up to talk to him. Surely we've got to get the Collingwood runner out here and uh, get him off the ground for a start. Oh, he he wants to be very careful because... uh, I'd take him off now. Well, he's got him. I think you've got to take the boy off. Very smart. Definitely. You've got to take the boy off. Uh, Serious matter, but you've got to have a chuckle. That was Ray Jordan. The uh, crusty old voice on that. And I was actually sitting at home in Melbourne watching that. It was the Army Reserve Cup. It used to be on TV in Melbourne. It was in the 1980s. John Burke, the Collingwood player, went nuts during a game, pushed and kicked an umpire, then ran over, jumped the fence and chased a spectator around. I think he might have donged a spectator as well. I think he got 10 years for that. And... um, it was worth every bit of the 10 years, too, I can tell you, that uh, what he did, it certainly uh, required a 10-year suspension. Absolute, complete loss of self-control and very fitting commentary from old Ray Jordan. I think the other voice on that was Sandy Roberts as well, I think. So uh, there you go. Give us your thoughts. Umpires are untouchable. 0487 736 736 is the text line. Or call us on the Barrett and O'Day open line on 13 12 55. Hey, something that came up 
in the Marsh Cup final yesterday, and Simon from Claremont's texted in about it. Two runouts in one ball. Now, he's talking about a very clever piece of play by Andrew Ty, and I'm not even sure which one counted as the runout, where the ball was thrown to Ty at the, at the bowler's end. He took the bails off. It was a very close, whether it was a runout or not. He then wheeled and threw the stumps down at the other end and got the player out. Should we have a double play in cricket? And even if we don't have it in test cricket, should we have it in 50-over cricket? And even if we don't have it in 50-over cricket, should we have it in T20 cricket? It's worth a thought. What do you think? 0487 736 736 is the text line or call us on the Barrett and O'Day open line 13 12 55. Barrett and O'Day, because the little things are everything. We'll be back with more after the break. Harley Reid didn't get a touch in his first 20 minutes. Does that Something mean like that, that the hype is over the top? Like, what have, uh, what do we take out of that for the young fella? He struggled a bit, didn't he? Uh, injury concern in there as well. Tried to shrug, I think, uh, Brayshaw at one Brayshaw. particular point and got mauled. But this is just standard procedure for a kid, isn't it? I mean, what? Yeah, I think I, the, I do issues, think, though, the issues on our end. I think he's been over. I think, well, not over hype. I think he's had more hype than anyone. I know you disagree with that. I think going into a two team town as well has added to that. And I know we've got recency bias with these things. I take yep. all of that on board. But you're going into a two team town when the team that you have gone to is the line in the jungle in the city of Perth. They have been down for however long. They are clinging for any sort of positive they can get, like a life raft in the middle of the Pacific. And this kid comes in who's supposedly eaten a bit. There's a reason why he's on the back page of the West Australian 30 times in the space of a couple of months. I get all that, but geez, he's been hyped. Has he, he been hyped? Yeah, yes. But I don't know we'll find there'll be we'll find out in another 30 headlines and about three years how good he's going to be, and then he's going to pro- he'll have to prove it and reinvent himself and go again and again and again over 10 yeah. or 15 years if he's going to get anything close to what we what he's been built up to be. That's pretty much every number one pick. And as I said, the fault there is not with the player. It's not with the industry. It's with us on this side of it and what we try to – the pedestal we try to put players on just because they've been good at at 17 or 18. Nathan Buckley and Sam Sam Eben talking about Harley Reid and the hype around him. Yeah, look, he's been on the back page of the paper 11 70 times. Mm-hmm before playing a game against another club. I mean, it has been excessive, I think. Well, I don't think I know. Yeah. I mean, it gets clicks, so that's why they do it. Um, but, yeah, it's – well, is it tough for the kid? If he takes no notice, it probably isn't. But all these judgments are made based on performance relative to um, attention, if you like. And he had a typical first game for a kid. Yeah going up against, you know, grown AFL men, um, you know, trying to stand next to Nathan Fife at a stoppage, for example, you know, trying to don't argue Andrew Brayshaw mm. out of a tackle, which he would have done to under-18s kids, you know, dozens of times last year. Worked out it's not it's not as easy because they hang on, you know, they've been in the gym, they hang on tighter and they, yeah. they pull you down. So um, he did some things that I think there was enough there to say, yep, that's okay. I've seen enough from him in the match simulations I've seen to know he's a good player. But just <clears throat> to look at a typical top-end draft pick's career trajectory, everyone talks about um, Nick Dacos. But let's not forget Jason Horn francis mm. was in that draft as well, and he had a tough first year. Yeah. Andrew Brayshaw was the second pick in his draft, 
Andrew Brayshaw, there were people, um, Fremantle supporters in Brayshaw's second year, that believed he should have been dropped. Yeah, out of the um, out of the best twenty-two. Now in Andy Brayshaw's second year at Fremantle, that was twenty nineteen. So he's playing alongside Nathan Fife in a year that Nathan Fife won the Brownlow Medal. Yeah, bit. so he's got a bit of clout alongside him, you yeah. know. And Brayshaw and Adam Chera at Fremantle emerged as good players in 2020 mm. and then as really good players in 2021. So that's 18, 19, 2021. That's in their fourth season. Yeah. Now, Nick Dacos is different. Chris Judd was different. But Gary Ablett didn't really emerge as a gun player until 2007. Gary Ablett played his first season in 2002. Mm. That's Gary Ablett Jr. Yeah. Um, his dad was a freak from the start. Yeah. But the typical career trajectory of a kid mm. is that there are some struggles in the first couple of years. And given that he's a contest player yeah, and he's going to be up against bigger, stronger bodies, I think you're going to have to expect some challenges from Harley Reid in the first year. And also the team that he's joining and is getting into. Like, it's you know, great for Dacos to join a team that was on the rise and, you know, had a couple of things to click in the right way and then, you know, was into flag time. Um, but for West Coast, it is rebuild. That's why you're getting the number one pick. That's why it's going to take the time. But do you think it is, as uh, Bucks and Sam were saying, the media or if it is the expectation of fans? I, the, the West Australian had a deliberate campaign to get Harley Reid on the back page of the yeah, paper absolutely. every day. Yep. And and that, I don't know. Does that mean it's, it's our fault? It's, almost, like? it's, almost, it's, it's, not, it's not my fault. Do I'm we get painted by the same brush? So, you um, know, like. No, I, I guess the... I mean, It's a big ass. West Coast weren't trying to get Harley Reid on the back page of no, the paper no, every day. not at all. They weren't saying, we're a struggling club, we need the publicity. Mm. This was the West Australian thinking this gets clicks... So therefore, we'll put him on the back page of the paper. Now, that's that's someone might say that's good business mm. by the West, but it does make it pretty mm. interesting for the kid. Yeah, uh, just quickly, uh, PINT, Postal Institute of Northern Territory. Is it? Yeah, I can hear laughs, but it's, it's true. This is from game day. This is uh, from this is from the uh, Pint Football Club of Brief History. So they were the Panthers. Yeah. Uh, it says uh, the Northern Territory Football Association began a few blokes decided that the PINT club could enter a team in the new football competition, which is the Postal Institute of the Northern Territory. Okay. I'm going with it for now. Yep. I think they'll be without Warwick Williams. We'll see if I have to be back uh, time forward. hat in hand and uh, making an apology. Yeah. And uh, just quickly before we uh, get to the last break and get on to some snap judgments, uh, Graham from Padbury with uh, his thoughts from the weekend. Uh, injuries 2024 is shaping up as a rinse and repeat for the last two years. Uh, a total of 14 players didn't play in either game and Jimby is now added to that list. There may be more. Uh, McGovern, uh, Flynn, which is unfortunately one of those names that's been added to that list, Brockman, Ryan, Hewitt, Darling and Sheed would have been handy among others. First half was at least competitive with some promising signs, albeit some recurring problems were apparent. The second half is harder to judge as Fremantle brought in about eight fresh players. They used 33 players in the first match compared to the Eagles' 24. It made a difference as the Eagles fatigued. A couple of youngsters in Rawlinson and Livingstone, uh, Livingston showed some promise. Jamison battled well down back and Chester found the ball and came into the game. Uh, still shapes as a long year if we can't pl- fix player availability. 
Graham in Padbury. Yep, absolutely. He also makes a good point about Gaff. He said, thinks he makes a good choice as sub, experienced and fit enough to play at a game if required early. His lack of pace is less of a problem if he comes in late when others are fatigued. It means he's not taking minutes off younger players who need as much development time mm. as possible, whether that be in AFL or Waffle. Not a bad point, Graham. Do, would that protect him? Does he need protecting if this is going to keep... The narrative's going to keep happening about why are we picking Andrew Gaff, you know, from supporters um, out had, there. I think he had that last year. Yeah, but if it's going to get louder and to a point of, you know, almost that you don't always use your sub in the second half, but if he's not starting the game, which is maybe where the eye has been drawn a little bit, um, yeah. He's on he's on good money too, that's yeah. the thing, which is probably one of the reasons why they want to play him. They mm. want to, They'll get bangs for their buck out of their salary cap. Yeah. But they have to look at the big picture here. Look, if he's playing solidly and he's showing leadership, then maybe he gets in. But if there's a good young wingman mm. trying to break in and Andrew Gass keeping him out of the team, I think that means the decision is made for West Coast. Mm. We'll take a break. Give us your thoughts. 0487 736 736. That is the text line. And we'll be back with more of your texts after the break. Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. We've got a couple of things to get through still. Paul Heath. Let's hit it. Uh, Snap Judgment for Snap Fitness. For the feeling, Snap Judgment has, uh, sorry, Snap Fitness has you covered. Visit your local Snap Fitness to find out more. Snapfitness.com.au. All right, from the weekend, Steve Smith, is there room for him in the T20 side? For the World Cup, no. No, he's out. Go on. Matt Short in, Steve Smith out. Yep. Uh, the Freeman Dockers uh, wingman situation. They tried a couple of different uh, matches up uh, or you know combos. Uh, do you have a, a leader at this point? I think the midfield is so deep that I think they should use it as a flexible rotation. Mm. I liked Jaeger O'Meara, what he did on the wing. I like the idea of Andrew Brayshaw being on the wing at times, mm. but not all the time. Um, and then they've got a couple of kids. Matt Johnson, I think, because he's quick, but he has a big body as well. I think put him on a wing and then bring him into the middle at times. I think that's great. Um, I think they've got to try and create holes for their quality players that can go through the midfield. It's one of their strengths. Mm. They've got to use it to their advantage. And, And for that reason, I think they've got to seriously consider, even though I've been one of the ones pushing for it all summer, I think if five sound... Got to seriously consider putting Hayden Young back to half back. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Snap yeah. judgment after one game. Can't be the All Australian uh, midfielder uh, anymore. Uh, uh, Marrick, a Waterman, or both? Can they both fit in the set in both, the time? Both. Yep. After what, the weekend. Yep. Particularly yep. with the ruck situation yeah. as it is, I think they both did enough to play in round one. Mm. Uh, West Coast improved. Uh, reserve judgment. Reserve judgment. Okay. Well, it's hard for them to be worse. Yeah. Um, they did do some things. They like they want contest. They want uh, clearances, and they want forward half footy. Mm. They did that at times in the first half. So let's not write them off completely on the basis of one game. But yeah, it, it looks like a tough year. Uh, Sam Pell Pepper incident weeks. Yeah, I, I'm two. Yep. I wouldn't get carried away. I hope they don't get carried away because mm. of the Angus Brayshaw stuff. They should have, if they were, if if it was going to resonate with them that much, they should have bloody well suspended Braden Maynard yeah. Yeah. in the finals last year. So two weeks for me. Uh, does it look poor, or was it a poor, you know, attack on on the player? Uh, it was a bit of both. The guy yeah. kind of gets swung into him a bit. Yeah, like he's running in hard, and the guy sort of like is in a tackle and gets swung into him a bit. So it's not all he's doing. Um, but yeah, it's. 
It was reckless. Uh, most worrying result from the weekend, Essendon, Gold Coast or West Coast? Um, well, look, I think Essendon and Gold Coast will probably be okay. I think if West Coast can't get players out there, it's going to be a really tough year. So th- them. Uh, mid-season trades, yes, no? No. No, I'm still not it's happy with them. It's just absolutely open to rorting <laughs> yeah. and teams tanking. It, it is a daft idea. The AFL will probably do it, but it's daft with a capital D. Love that. Uh, can something have six or seven quarters? Yes, no. 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 I didn't think so either, but I uh, kept hearing it. wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Uh, Adam Simpson not speaking post-match. Uh, good thing, bad thing. Nothing going on. Oh, it's run-of-the-mill Yeah, in pre-season. They often throw up an assistant. Um, they did it the same time last year. Mm. Uh, I can't remember where they did it the year before that, but I'm not that fussed about that. And just a reminder for the upcoming long weekend that double demerits apply from midnight Thursday until midnight Monday for speeding or using a mobile phone or radar detector while driving. If you get caught, you could lose your licence twice as fast. So be very careful. Out on the roads, coming up. Also, Duff, two run-outs in one ball. I think it should count. That was Simon from Claremont. Yeah, so I he, like it. Yeah. I, I like it. Like, it was a brilliant bit of thinking by Andrew Ty, just in case he hadn't got the guy Very at the bowler's end. indoor cricket, wasn't it? You know, so it comes up the other end. You notice the other bloke's halfway there. But maybe it could be a one-day thing. I'm, I'm saying not in test matches. Yep. And I'm even saying not in 50-over cricket. Yeah. But maybe T20s. Yeah. Like, maybe the ability to swing a game with two dismissals in one ball. Mm. I like it. Yeah. What do you reckon? I think maybe it could be the thing that saves one-day cricket. T20's got enough going on. All right. Let's go with that. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on the show today. It was a great show. Uh, Thanks for all your texts and the callers that rang in. We'll be back with another edition of Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA tomorrow morning.